From Washington, D.C., the swamp itself, this is the week's worst with Allen and Vadim. I'm Dr. Stephen J. Allen, Vice President and Chief Investigative Officer of the Capitol Research Center. And I'm Matthew Vadim, Senior Vice President of the Capitol Research Center. We're investigative reporters. We go after the crony capitalists, the corrupt special interests, and all the bad guys in politics and public policy in Washington, D.C., and around the country and around the world. This is our podcast in which we dig through the news for stories that we think are the most outrageous, the most ridiculous, the worst. Uh, we do it so you don't have to. Well, there's nothing like an election to bring out the sore losers. And did they ever come out? Matthew, tell us a little bit about the uh, the rioters. Who's behind them? The rioters and who is behind them? Let's see. That would have to be George Soros uh, in large measure. George Soros is basically the, the radical uh, currency uh, manipulator uh, who brought down the Bank of England uh, some years back and wiped out, uh, uh, what was it, 40% or so of a lot of people's savings, bank savings overnight. George Soros is funding... These groups, like Move On, for example, and Black Lives Matter, both of which are very active in the violent, uh, bloody protests that f- that followed more or less immediately after uh, the TV networks called the election for President-elect Donald Trump. And violence is sort of uh, one of one of their signature moves because they, of course, were also promoting. Uh, violence at Trump rallies. They were infiltrating the Trump rallies. No, no, those start... are non-violent protesters. Oh, I you see. Don't I'm understand. sorry. I, I, yes, I completely... No, no, non-violent. Mostly, <laughs> those were mostly peaceful events. Right. Mostly peaceful, mostly meaning, peaceful. meaning violent. Right. So if you're there for an hour, and then some uh, uh, 59 minutes go by, and then someone hits you with the club... That hour was mostly peaceful. I so see. just remem- remember that. So we have this fellow Robert Kramer, who was uh, or Kramer, I think it's uh, it's spelled. I don't know which way it's pronounced, but he was the one who visited the White House. Was it three hundred and forty-two? Three hundred and forty something times, and uh, he even visited the president's residence, which I am told by people, senior people who've worked in previous White Houses, is uh, is quite an honor. Not uh, People can work there for years, for a decade, and never even get to see the inside of the president's resident, uh, residence, uh, his quarters, at uh, his family's quarters at the White House. And so we have the, the, the tapes from Project Veritas where they went undercover and they actually caught this guy talking about uh, putting uh, people, provocateurs, into the Trump rallies in order to start fights, cause problems. Right. Those were wonderful undercover videos shot by James O'Keefe's group. He's the Acorn Slayer. Uh, And they discovered that Robert Creamer, who was uh, instrumental in, in getting the Obamacare legislation passed through Congress, in that sense he's described as, as, an, as one of the architects of Obamacare, uh, he uh, said on uh, undercover video, that these that that he and uh, his buddy Scott Fovel, uh, an activist from Ohio uh, from Iowa, uh, were uh, they put together uh, protests. They got people to go in to Trump rallies and foment violence. Now I hate uh, in uh, playing the Hitler card, but this is exactly what Hitler's SA did in the early 1930s. Ernst Rome. 
uh, would uh, who Hitler later had murdered uh, would go into would they'd send in thugs to break up uh, opposition rallies, uh, socialist party meetings, communists. Um, any other group that wasn't on their side, they would go in and beat these people up. And and these Democrats did the same thing. And what was really, really interesting is that in one of the tapes, Robert Creamer, who is married to uh, socialist congresswoman Jan Schakowsky, Democrat, Illinois, is he said Hillary Clinton knows about all of this through the chain of command, and she's fine with it all. And that's really shocking. And I, you know, I have to wonder if the Trump administration is going to uh, conduct a racketeering investigation of the Democratic National Committee, because that that's not something we're used to in America. Actual conspiring against uh, political campaigns to go in and beat up their supporters. I know like labor unions have done that sort of thing to their enemies for a long time, but this is fairly new in the American experience to do this in a presidential election campaign. I've never heard of such a thing. And of course we know that there was, for example, the Trump rally that had to be canceled uh, in Chicago. In Chicago, at the University of Illinois at Chicago, because the, the activists, the protests there were too rowdy. And so... The, what the Trump campaign said at the time is they were canceling it out of concern for attendees' safety. And that, in retrospect, was probably a very good move since we know that a lot of the rabble-rousers were there being paid, uh, apparently by the Democratic National Committee and the Hillary campaign, to stir up S-H-I-T. And, of course, in I believe it was Arizona where they were jumping up on cars and, and blocking traffic uh, during a, when, when there was a, a Trump, ra- Trump rally scheduled. And, 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 and this, is a, this is an old technique, uh, I guess, taken to a next step. But if it goes, uh, some of this goes back to Saul Alinsky, who was the person who was a, a mentor to Hillary Clinton herself personally. She was also a friend of his. Uh, and then, of course, Barack Obama was a community organizer trained by the people who had been trained by Saul Alinsky. Saul Alinsky was the father of this community organizer uh, movement, uh, which is basically professional protesters. Right, and he wrote he wrote two uh, uh, famous, or should I say infamous books, influential books uh, that have had a lasting impact on the left. And that around World War II, he wrote something called Reveille for Radicals, and then in the early 70s, just before he died, he wrote uh, the more seminal work, Rules for Radicals, that explains his organizing and, and agitating philosophy. Right. And, and the, uh, one of the things that he's famous for is sending people dressed in Ku Klux Klan outfits to a speech by uh, George H.W. Bush when he was, I believe, UN ambassador in order to make it look like the Klan was supporting uh, George H.W. Bush, uh, one of the most uh, mild-mannered people, I guess, in, in the history of American politics. The and man who resigned his lifetime NRA membership because the head of the NRA said something, one made one mean comment about federal law enforcement officials, called them jackbooted thugs after, I think it was Ruby Ridge or the Waco rally. One, uh, the right Waco raid uh, in Texas with the Branch Davidians. That was enough to make him resign because somebody said something unkind about federal police. So this so. smear technique, this is something that's that's part of their part of their DNA. 
Uh, and of course, we now have a situation with uh, anyone who is mentioned as a possible uh, appointee in, in the Trump administration, just as Trump himself was smeared many times, uh, they're going after them. Uh, Steve Bannon, of course, is, uh, is someone who is on that list. Right, and, and he has been tagged as an anti-Semite because somebody opened up his divorce files and found that the uh, wife had complained that uh, he allegedly said he didn't want to send his kids um, to a school uh, that was populated with Jewish students. Now, I don't know if it's true or not, but even if it is true, it's not necessarily racist or anti-Semitic. Maybe uh, he he appears to be a a, a, a worshiping Catholic, devout uh, to, to an extent a devout Catholic, and perhaps we he just wanted to send his kids to he wanted them to be surrounded by other Catholics. This is you know they have Catholic schools. Well, that's even uh, for that. So we don't know if it's true, and even if it is true, it's a big nothing burger, right. and that is the one of the very thin reeds upon which hangs this smear that Steve Bannon is an anti-Semite. Right. And they And I know Steve Bannon and uh, he's never said anything even remotely off color like that to me the whole time I've known him. Right. And of course, uh, uh, speaking as a lawyer, anyone who believes the accusations that are made in divorce papers uh, is an idiot. And uh, so, but, and yet those are brought forward, and we've seen this happen in other cases. Right. Because couples will say the nastiest things about each other, especially when big money and custody of children uh, are concerned. Right. And then, of course, we have uh, Jeff Sessions, who's the senator from Alabama, who I've known uh, for more than 30 years and uh he he not not was that a humble brag (laughs) well i i I actually worked for the senator who was at one point pushing him for a federal judgeship and the washington post went after him and they presented these ridiculous accusations some of which were kind of comical one was that somebody had heard him making the joke that he, he was fine with the Klan until he found out that they smoked marijuana which in any case would have been a joke, and yet that was presented as proof that he was uh, a racist. It's actually kind of funny in a Bob Hope uh, yeah. kind of way. Yeah, and, and then at one point he went after people who were stealing votes. Uh, he got them, He called them red-handed. Now, they were acquitted. They had a, a, a jury that was would not have uh, convicted them under any circumstances. Nevertheless, this was presented as uh, fact uh, the fact that he was uh, a racist. Uh, and, and the funniest part of the entire attack was... The Washington Post, which ran an editorial denouncing him and saying he shouldn't get this federal judgeship, and the headline in the Washington Post was Jefferson Beauregard Sessions. And for years, I've told this story about the hypocrisy of, and the, that of, was his full legal name. That was his full saying. legal name. Yeah. But that was the that was the. Now he de- he doesn't go by that. He goes by Jeff Sessions. Uh, but that was the uh, the headline on the story for a very good reason because it makes him sound like oh he must be a racist. How could you have the name Jefferson Beauregard Sessions and not be a racist? And that's the point that we're it trying to get like across. Sounds like a major plantation owner and a driver of slaves. Exactly with a name and, like and, that. And and I've so u- stereotypically old South. And I've used that story for years as an example of how. People on that side of the fence will uh, are hypocrites because, of course, as soon as someone mentioned Barack Obama's uh, middle name, uh, which is Hussein, uh, they immediately pointed to that as uh, anyone who did that as a racist. That was, and uh, that was that was uh, the Republican. That was John McCain who did that. Right. So, so yeah, John McCain called on you know denounced people who uh, there was a fellow who introduced him at a rally who had said uh, Barack 
Hussein Obama, and John McCain called him out on it. Said, yeah, how dare you say his last, his middle name. His middle name. And so yet they were calling him Jefferson Beauregard Sessions. And it's so funny, by an incredible coincidence, I happen to be looking today uh, at uh, the Huffington Post, and guess how they've started referring to Senator Jeff Sessions? You'll never guess in a million years. Jefferson Beauregard Jefferson Sessions? Jefferson Beauregard Sessions. Once again, he's Jefferson Beauregard Sessions. So uh, this is this is what we have to have to deal with in, in Washington, D.C. He sounds like a character in like some trashy novel, actually. <laughs> well, this was all part of uh, this was all part of the, the reaction, the crazy reaction that we got uh, to the election of Donald Trump. I'm going to pull out a piece of paper here, which I have. Uh, uh, I was watching Stephen Colbert's election night special. And this is a program, uh, his, his regular show on CBS wasn't on that night because of election coverage. This was on election night. Uh, and so he did his show on Showtime, which is owned by CBS. And uh, it was a little more a little more blue, a little more uh, bad language than you would normally have on a, on a network TV show. But the reactions on that were just so uh, indicative of how people in the, in the establishment media uh, feel about, uh, about the way that the American people uh, voted in the election. Uh, Colbert is asking um, uh, the uh, Mark Halperin and John Heileman, who are the two political writers uh, most famous for writing uh, the book uh, Game Change, and they have a show on Bloomberg uh, called With All Due Respect. And he had them on as his guests, and again, this is live on election night. And they're finding out as time goes through, goes by on the on the program, they're finding out how the election's going, and they're they're getting more and more and more depressed. Uh, and uh, so at one point, Halpern says that Trump is now on the doorstep of 270 electoral vote, votes. And Colbert says, wow, wow, that's a horrifying prospect. I can't put a happy face on that, and that's my job. Of course, he being a comedian. He said, is there a comparable moment in American political history? Uh, or is this, is this, are we on virgin snow, he says. And Heileman says, well, we're not on virgin snow. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say snow. Uh, it, it's, it's like something a little browner. Uh, and then Halpern says, outside of the Civil War, World War II, and including 9-11, this may be the most cataclysmic event the country has ever seen. And then later, one of the guests on the show is a comedian. She says, uh, I feel as if I'm about to give birth to a baby that's already dead. So this is the kind of reaction we got from the left uh, and from the people They're who were upset about it. They're thoughtful people, aren't they? Yeah, I know. They really think things through. Uh, one of the things that's come up uh, recently has been in this last week is whether Hillary Clinton should be pardoned for her uh, crimes against the country. Uh, and what are your what are your thoughts about that? Well, I think it'd be a, a great idea in one sense, in that it would constitute uh, de facto admission that she's guilty, and it would uh, blacken her reputation for all time. So. In that sense, it would be good. Although it would be nice to see in front her in front of a, uh, uh, you know, at the prisoners' bar and like you know in a supermax facility where she belongs, it's hard to imagine uh, a Clinton um, um, receiving actual justice in America. It's just it's 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 too wild a thought. I can't even picture it happening. So at least a pardon would would put an end to the the, the the discussions about it. But hey, if they want to try her, you know, uh, hang her upside down uh, by meat hook at an esso station, I'm you know at, outside Milan, Italy, I'm fine with that. 
That's a historical reference for anyone listening and not to be intended as... Uh, yes, to uh, Il Duce. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. So the... Uh, <laughs> uh, Hillary Clinton, I, one of the things I, I, I'm concerned about is, though, that there are people who might accept the idea of pardoning uh, Hillary in order to get this, uh, get this off our plate, to keep it from being distracting. And of course, you're, you're really talking about equal justice under law. I remember all those people who got upset when Donald Trump said, you know, I'd put you in jail if I could. Uh, well, the question is, should you, should you have the same rule of law for someone who's Secretary of State who's running for president as you have for that uh, fellow on the submarine who, in order to uh, uh, study uh, his, uh, his, his book, he was, he was taking right. pictures, taking pictures uh, on his phone of uh, some of, the, some of the classified and you, materials. And you've noticed, Dr. Allen, the way that the media has framed this issue. They've framed it as a possibility of a President Trump um, exacting revenge against a political enemy. Well, okay, that's one way of looking at it. The other way is uh, uh, is that it would be prosecuting a, a, an outrageous crime uh, that was committed by a major government official. Um, do we have to just, you know, we have one standard for Hillary Clinton and another for that unfortunate submariner who took photos uh, uh of his workplace, basically, right. and uh, and I guess it wasn't aware of the gravity of what he had done. Uh, you know, definitely not a spy, and nothing really came of it. And yet he's doing time, and and Hillary's uh, getting pretty drunk, apparently, at Chappaqua, uh, New York, her home. If you, if her appearance the other day on TV's indication, she looked really, really awful, which you know gave ran gave. Uh, caused a little thrill of schadenfreude to run up my leg. However, you know, most of us are not. I'm sure you're not, you, you don't have a, a, a black heart as I do. Uh, you know, you're a nice guy, aren't you, Steve? I, I know people in the intelligence community, and they're all disgusted by the fact that Hillary Clinton, uh, in order to further a scheme of pay-for-play, which is what she was doing, uh, she at the State Department, uh, according to AP, they went through two years of records with the, all the records they could get, and they found that 55% of the time, the people who she met with who weren't part of the government, in other words, the private sector people she met with, 55% of the time, they were donors to the Clinton Foundation. And I'm not talking about, you know, somebody who sees an ad on TV and sends in, you know, 50 cents a month or something like that. I'm talking about one and a half million dollars on average for these donors to the Clinton Foundation. So right, were, and Huma Abedin, uh, uh, who has ties to the Muslim Brotherhood, um, her top assistant, uh, vice chairwoman of her campaign, uh, was the gatekeeper for that. And she would be arranging, she'd be like coy when somebody wanted to set up an interview. As we discovered from WikiLeaks and, and uh, testimony and so on, that uh, she would um, um, shake them down. She would, you know, put them on hold and then come back to them and then shake them down. Uh, for money to uh, uh, for, for the Clinton Foundation in order to set up uh, access to Hillary Clinton herself. Right, and in order to cover that up, and who knows what else, I mean, we know some things, uh, 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 Chelsea uh, having her wedding paid for, at least in part, by the, by the Clinton Foundation, uh, the fact that uh, Hillary was sending classified documents to her maid, who was uh, who hadn't uh, didn't have a security clearance for these things, so, to so print that the these maid documents could print out, them out. so right. the maid could print them out, which is a terrible uh, uh, threat risk for our national security. But but mainly taking sixty six thousand government documents, sixty six thousand government documents, any one of which. 
for her to take would be a felony, and she steals them. I mean, this is the equivalent for those who, you know, get confused by uh, the electronic world, the digital world that we live in. Just think of this. If she were Secretary of State and she had a truck pull up to her office and they uh, took 66,000 documents from her files and put them in the truck and took them and put them in her basement and didn't lock the door of her basement so that it was available, there, there, there's a 99% estimate by the intelligence community that the, the things that were on her server, these 66,000 documents, were hacked by our country's adversaries. And she does this without any regard to the national security, without any regard. I mean, there were things in there where the, the slightest little bit of information might lead to, say, the exposure of one of our intelligence agents who could be then executed. Now, we'll never know, or we might know years from now, the, the complete implications of what she did. But we know she stole 66,000 documents. And it infuriated me this last year that this would be referred to without using the word steal or stole or stolen because that's what she was doing. And the idea that she would get away with that is just so much a violation of what this country stands for uh, that I, I, you know, I, I have a hard time accepting the idea uh, of a pardon for Hillary Clinton. And would really. Uh, only, I, I'm not yeah. saying I support it. I'm just saying politically, it would, uh, you know, it would, it would. Uh, the history books would be very unkind to her if she took a pardon. Yeah, the only way that I would, which, even, which, uh, which I would like that right, she, you know, right. that they're they're unkind to her. And of course, they're being the they're being the Clintons. They would always claim they were innocent, even if they took the pardon. Well, because so the Clintons yeah. have magical powers, and right, it's right. very difficult to do anything to them. People but, have been trying. For like 30 years of corruption, uh, all the way back to uh, Whitewater and the commodities, the cattle futures deal, um, you know, been trying to nail them for uh, criminal or potentially criminal uh, behavior, and they've, they've always failed. Yeah. Not because the Clintons weren't guilty, but because they've run out of steam or they didn't have all the evidence that they needed or... It just was not politically sexy anymore to go after the Clintons. Right, and I would encourage our listeners to go to our website and see the uh, the article that I wrote about the commodities deal, the cattle futures deal, and how much of what the Clintons have done over the years uh, that's corrupt really traces traces back to to that. Uh, so one one of the things that gets me about the reaction to the election is that everyone talks about what a, what a great upset it was and how uh, you know, nobody saw this coming. Well, of course, that was the media. Uh, and the media's bias as reflected in the wishful thinking behind their predictions that Hillary Clinton was going to win and she was going to win easily uh, and uh, that everybody, all the Trump people, should just stay home because yeah, voting doesn't On election matter. night on Fox, um, uh, I think around 6.30, uh, uh, Charles Krauthammer, uh, the great uh, conservative intellectual said, Hillary's got it. Hillary's going to win. Yeah. And they, uh, of course, after the election is over, then they came up with all sorts of wild explanations because having predicted that this could never happen, they now have to explain what did happen. Uh, so you have, uh, you have uh, the Comey explanation. And of course, Trump was gaining on Hillary the whole time leading up to Comey's uh, initial announcement that he was looking into the emails on the computer that Huma Abedin shared with Anthony, the infamous Anthony Weiner. Uh, her her uh, pedophile ex-congressman husband. Right. And uh, so that's one of the explanations. Cokie Roberts was on ABC. She said it was, uh, it was just sexism. Uh, that's why people voted the way they did. And uh, the campaign, former campaign communications director, uh, Jess McIntosh, said that it was internalized 
misogyny. Yeah, that's a funny one. Yeah, that's women hating themselves. Yeah. I guess I guess it's probably racism too, although both the candidates were white. Really white. <laughs> right, so, right. Well, but then, somehow there's got to be racism in there somehow. Well, remember, uh, those. what was it, a third of the counties that voted twice for Barack Obama switched and voted for Trump this time. So all those counties that voted twice for Barack Obama but then voted for uh, vote, voted for Donald Trump against Hillary Clinton, they were all racists. Racists, <laughs> sexists. Who voted for Barack Obama. <laughs> so... Yeah. Uh, and, then, and oh, and Islamophobes. Don't forget that. Oh, that's even. right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, all, they're all deplorables. Don't you know? They're deplorable, deplorable. people. Um, I thought Van Jones' reaction was really, really funny. Yes. I've had some nasty Twitter battles with him. Eventually, Van Jones, his Twitter handle, it's burnt into my m memory, Van Jones 68, because <laughs> he was born in 1968. Nasty, nasty fights with him. Finally, he blocked me. I wondered what it would take. Anyway, he had the what, really over-the-top reaction to the election. You know, he asked on CNN, uh, where he's the resident um, Bolshevik, uh, how do I explain this to my children? And then he said that this is a nightmare for the country, a nightmare for minorities. Uh, a nightmare for gays, a nightmare for well, a nightmare for all the part, all the people who are part of the Democratic um, uh, coalition. So that that was really really crazy. And then the the discussions, not just Van Jones, the other left wingers saying, well, how do I explain this to my children? Since uh, you know Donald Trump is basically Hitler, and now he's going to be our president. So they're agonizing over it. Then Lena Dunham, the the. Uh, Lena Dunham, who should never ever be naked in any of her productions, because because uh, it's because uh, it's frightening. Well, she certainly is a, a, a an advertisement for not having tattoos. Right, I would she's, say that. Yeah, yeah, she's uh, you know I I don't know if she's a no talent, but I don't like her work uh, or her nude body for that matter. But her over the top reaction is she like retreated to Arizona to like uh, confer with nature and the rocks. And something like that. It was a really crazy explanation that I read, but um, you know that's what these uh, uneducated, uh, uh, dumb uh, Hollywood types do. Keith Olbermann is like, a, it's a, Trump is, you know, this is the Third Reich all over again, and we must oppose him right now. So you know, I thought Keith Olbermann had died or something because he hadn't been in the news for so long. But oh, apparently, he's still out there, and GQ magazine hired him. Not sure why they hired him, exactly, but but uh, GQ and share promised to move to Jupiter. Share promised to move to Jupiter, and I always like to point out Cher's real name is Sherilyn Sarkeesian, so you can see why she she shortened it. So the Democrats, where do they go from here? They're, uh, they have uh, the new spokesman for the Democratic Party appear to be Bernie Sanders, uh, who uh, supported Hillary Clinton despite the fact that he hit right on everything uh, about her that was crooked and her support for the Wall Street bailout as well and, and, and her support for the, for the war in Iraq and, and all these things that people on the left well, don't like. About, but boy, he had no problem uh, endorsing her in the That's fall. right. What about the new likely DNC chairman, right? From where we sit right now, um, it looks like Congressman Keith Ellison, Democrat, um, uh, Minnesota, an actual protege of Nation of Islam leader Louis Farrakhan, Keith Ellison, ties to jihadists and Islamic terrorists uh, up the wazoo. He has a very good shot at becoming the leader of the Democratic Party. Uh, and a lot of people have already come out in support of him. Uh, one of them being Bernie Sanders, another being... 
uh, Senate Minority Le- Leader Harry Reid. This is quite a radical turn, even for, for the Democrats, uh, to put a, a jihadist, a likely traitor, uh, as chairman of their party. It's, uh, it's, it, it would definitely change the dynamic uh, in, in national politics. And uh, if it happens, so so Ellison, yeah, you called himself uh, uh, Keith Keith X Ellison, I believe, and right. and and was a you know protege of, as you say, of the uh, Nation of Islam founder, uh, who's an anti-Semite uh, and uh, just a you know overall overall anti-American. And, and, and then the left is saying that Steve Bannon, because he allegedly didn't want his kids to go to a school mo- that was mostly Jewish, therefore he's you know the same as a as a Nazi. Right. When you have actual real life modern day Nazis in the in the place of the in the form of these Islamists like Congressman Keith Ellison and uh, Congressman uh, Andre uh, Carson, who I imagine how could he not support his buddy uh, for the DNC chairmanship? And of course, uh, one of the people supporting him is another future leader of the party, Elizabeth Warren, who got rich and famous by claiming to be an American Indian, which she is not, uh, and hence the term uh, Focahontas that people sometimes use to describe her. Uh, and sometimes this is presented in the media as insulting her Indian heritage. That would be the Indian heritage she doesn't actually have, uh, and how she. Well, everybody claimed- knows that uh, American Indians have high cheekbones. As yeah, that's we right. From the Elizabeth Warren. That was her excuse. Was Saga. that she looked looked in the mirror. And, Which would and, probably be news to the people of the Czech Republic and uh, and uh, my distant relatives in Scandinavia. Hey, I'm 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 more American Indian than Elizabeth Warren is, and I never put that down for affirmative action purposes. And your nickname isn't Lies a Lot, is it? Uh, that's right. So uh, this is this is the Democratic Party is in disarray, and I guess we're going to find out in the months to come what uh, what direction they take and whether they go completely off the deep end after, as a result of this election. Well. That's our show for this week, and we'll be off next week for Thanksgiving. Uh, yes, we did do one show and then took a week off, but but we're gonna. That's we'll be back after Thanksgiving. Yeah, that, that's the kind of thing you do in Washington D.C. You you do one show and take a week off. We'll be yeah, back. Well, on, it's not like anybody works in the city, so why should we be any different? Right. We'll be back on December second and weekly after that. We hope you'll join us. Please follow us at the Capital Research Center on Facebook, on our YouTube channel, and at Capital Research on Twitter. Uh, I'm Dr. Stephen J. Allen. And I'm Matthew Vadim at Capital Research Center. I wanted to just also add we've got a new blog called bombthrowers.com, and I encourage you to visit it because we throw a lot of bombs there. And thanks for listening.